All right, y'all, welcome to Bible Bitches. And I am here with the baddest bitch of LA, Sarah Hoff. What's it like ruling over your city? <laughs> it feels real good. I'm here with the one Lar Barclay, who is high priestess of Louisville, Kentucky. Um, uh -huh. If you guys are interested, she's starting her own cult and <laughs> it's a pretty good one. You just That's need it. to bring her avocados and good cheeses mm -hmm. and maybe some whiskey and you're yeah, in. you're in that's it that's that's all that's that's it you just leave that on my porch and you're in my cult um you are blessed <laughs> it's, i i'm i would never be good at a cult because i would just be like can i have cheese please no only gruel well not for you but for your minions like yeah, what you yeah your participants yes <laughs> like, only just just cream of wheat that's all they get to eat oh gross you know what as a person who this is where you know Louisville Kentucky is very much like are we midwest are we north are we south I am this is an issue that I'm southern about uh cream of wheat is disgusting you northernest bastards with your cream of wheat I actually grew up eating it to be honest really? it's good no. I mean, mom would, well, the thing is, is that mom would put butter and brown sugar in it. So, I mean, come on. Grits are holier, as is oatmeal. All of those things are better. Cream of wheat can die a horrible death. Indeed. And, and we are back with part two of our fun, fun special on abortion. <laughs> Woo. And. As of when we are recording this, Roe versus Wade hasn't officially been overturned as the law of the land, but because of those pesky leaked documents from the Supreme Court, we are expecting it to be overturned at any point. Indeed. I like, uh, FYI, like on an aside, I like that it, it's the summer, which should be like the time for light topics. And we were like, <laughs> nope, we're going to go hard in the opposite direction. <laughs> but we're going to have a kicky fun abortion episode. <laughs> So just Ooh. grab your grab your tiki drink, you know, <laughs> maybe put it in a coconut. You just sit yeah, with it. Sidle on up with your Negroni and uh listen to how your rights got taken away. Exactly. So Roe versus Wade, as you as we all know, was decided in 1973 and allowed abortion to be protected due to a privacy right. Um, but it also allowed for government to have an increased say in the pregnancy the further along the fetus was in the stage of development in the womb. Thank you for pronouncing the four silent Bs in the womb. <laughs> According to Planned Parenthood, immediately after Roe was decided, opponents of safe and legal abortion urged state and federal lawmakers to pass laws stripping away at or banning abortion. And ever since, a lot of cases have come along attempting to overturn all or parts of constitutional protections to abortion afforded by the Roe ruling. For instance, decisions like Harris versus McRae in 1980 and Hodgson versus Minnesota in 1990 were part of this backlash, requiring state and federal bans on funding for abortions and requirements that young women obtain the consent of or notify their parents prior to an abortion. Yeah, but instead of the American Medical Association leading the charge against abortion rights as it had in the, 1880, in the 1800s, 
The religious right became the main force against abortion rights in the 1970s. The religious right, right, if you live under a rock. Fraggle rock? (laughs) Just like fraggle. Don't disparage fraggle rock like that. Well, are we talking about the rock? Because that's that's the rock I want to live under, Dwayne Johnson. I mean, I feel like his muscles would just crush me. But in a good way. Huh? But in a good way. Depends on the muscle. Look, I have, I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a confession, Sarah. I have, I have, I have partied out to his rap multiple times. It's about pride. It's about power. We stay hungry. We devout. <laughs> <laughs> At first I thought it was a joke, but then I don't think it's a joke anymore. <laughs> also, I feel like that's very on the nose for how we're discussing white men in this, in this episode. But he isn't white. Yeah, no, but like, that's the whole deal. It's about pride. It's about power. I know. But that's, that's why I, I don't know. I love the word. Yeah, yeah. No, Unabashedly. No. Oh, no, he's hilarious. I fucking love him. He's great. Yeah. Yes. He's great. Okay. So if you live under a rock, but not Dwayne Johnson, I'm just going to, I'm just going to be on a full aside as if I am living under Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> Good notes. Good notes. Yes. Um, So, yeah. So, again, the religious right, if you live under a rock, was formed by a group of fundamentalist evangelical Protestant leaders who sought to affect political change and obtain power like hungry power monsters. Think uh, Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson. So the devils. Yeah, accurate. According to an article in Politico entitled The Religious Right and the Abortion Myth, until the 1970s, Protestants didn't really care about abortion and saw it as a Catholic issue. In fact, at the 1971 St. Louis meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention, delegates to the Southern Baptist Convention passed a resolution calling for the legalization of abortion and reaffirmed this in 1974 and again in 1976, so before and after Roe versus Wade became the law of the land. In 1972, when the Roe v. Wade ruling occurred, W.A. Criswell, pastor of the First Baptist Church in Dallas and former president of the Southern Baptist Convention, made a statement in favor of Roe saying, I have always felt that it was only after a child was born and had a life separate from its mother that it became an individual person. And it has always, therefore, seemed to me that what is best for the mother and for the future should be allowed. The article goes on to say Billy Graham and James Dobson, the focus on the family founder, weren't keen to weigh in on abortion, and Dobson didn't think in the early 70s that a fetus was fully human. Yeah, he's going to change his mind. Let me tell you what, I'm looking at that that magic eight ball, and it says, future says, oopsie! (laughs) Future says, uh... Bleak as fuck! (laughs) Bleak as fuck! Bleak as fuck! Um, this political article, Politico article, goes on to discuss Paul Weirich, a conservative activist who helped start the religious right in the 1970s, primarily because the IRS was trying to end the tax-exempt status of whites-only segregation academies. These were, they were mostly church-sponsored, along with Bob Jones University, and had instituted segregationists, and had instituted segregationist policies. Just on an aside, FYI, um, when I was when I was in elementary school, a family friend of ours had a son that was going to Bob Jones. He was in his final year, his senior year of 
of school and he was dating somebody. And like, I put dating in quotes because it's like a weird, it's weird there. Like, uh, like you can't hold, yeah, like a court, yeah, you can't hold hands. You know, I don't, I'm sure that there are like stipulations about how long you can gaze into each other's eyes, things like that. Um, <laughs> anyhow, um, the school found out that he was quote unquote dating, uh, an Asian woman, an Asian lady. And, uh, they expelled him second semester, his senior year, they expelled him. It was wild. That is absolutely horrifying. And like, also somehow not surprising. No. I mean, I remember even as a child, I was like, that's not right. You know, yeah. and they were like, well, sure. yeah, like it was one of those things where the parents, my parents or like other parents, they wouldn't exactly comment on the situation. They would just be like, well, you know, those were the rules and them, which is absolute bullshit. It, right. Because it's like the rules are stupid. They're horrifying. And uh, it just kind of goes to show the real impetus behind what's going on in these schools is really about white supremacy. Well, yeah. And also, um, you know, social change has never come about by following the rules. Yeah, we should probably just, uh, you know, go along to get along. Just uh, never, never look up. Yeah, that always benefits the the whole really well. Um, Anyhow. Jerry Falwell had opened a segregationist academy in 1967, calling the civil rights movement, quote, civil wrongs, because he was a human shart. Have you guys ever sharted? It's very uncomfortable. I can't believe I just admitted that, but still. Um, Same. And so the religious right coalesced around segregation as an issue and were angry at their fellow evangelical, Jimmy Carter, who was a progressive, who was progressive in his re-election campaign in 1980. Yeah. And, you know, this just, this really boils my button, Sarah, because here's the thing is that I have met Jimmy Carter. Um, I was, uh, I was blessed, hashtag blessed to be in a meeting with him about 10 years ago um, around um, racial justice at his uh, center, the Jimmy Carter Center Indicator. And he was so lovely. Like, first of all, he comes in with his wife, Rosalind, and they, you know, sit down, talk for a while. He gives her a kiss. They, they hug. She leaves. He talks a little bit more. Um, he called me out by name, um, you know, talked about really just this care for racial justice and, um, made like he talked to me afterwards but he talked to everyone afterwards and was like very clear about his mission which was one of justice and love and so it really it really boils my buns that the religious right coalesced against him when I think that he if you're if you're talking about an evangelical who represents the best of us uh people who are still in the church he's it like He's like, I don't know, 135 and still building houses. I don't know. For Habitat for Humanity. That's a good dude. He's a good dude. So he does. fuck you, Jerry Falwell. He's dead now, but fuck you. <laughs> yeah. In fact, his son and yeah. all 
all offspring from his loins. Yes. Unless they have decried their father. I do not know. And then that's fine. True. If you, if you were like, Hey, you know what? I care about people. Then bless you. Yeah. Bless you for caring about other people. It's really, it's not hard. People just give a shit about other people. That's the point. In fact, moving on in summary <laughs> and in conclusion. Um, in fact, in August of uh, August the 22nd of 1980, when Ronald Reagan spoke to more than 10,000 evangelicals at Reunion Arena in Dallas. Now, this would have been the election where he was running against incumbent Jimmy Carter for president. In addition to talking about creationism and the Bible, he criticized, quote, Jimmy Carter's Internal Revenue Service, end quote, for challenging the tax exemption of racially segregated evangelical institutions. So at this point in the 1980 election, he is still viewing racial segregation as an issue. Like he's, he's in favor of these segregationist academies. So Reagan didn't yet get the memo that they had shifted uh, to abortion um, because this doesn't become really a huge talking point until later on into the 80s. They, they're, they're, they're starting this in the late 70s, but it really doesn't get gain traction around abortion until further on in the 80s. I like that they, they had like, what, like a three-pronged approach in the 1980s. They were like <laughs> abortion demons and drugs. Oh yeah, they were like, look, we really care about race, but that's like, don't look over here. Don't look over here. Yeah. It's demons and drugs and the loins of ladies like that is yeah mm-hmm. that's 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 yeah. how we grew up y'all that's why stranger things is so nostalgic <laughs> it's all about ladies and ladies and demons it's true true it really is you look back and on now, it and you're like oh my childhood <laughs> and you know spoiler now drugs true oh my god oh oh it really is it's so nostalgic I know I could like I could fall asleep listening to the screams of stranger things because it just sounds like my childhood also like do does weed count as drugs anymore I mean like I know it's like a drug blah 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 but like it's not drugs well I mean like I I think the whole question of that is like I'm, I'm not saying this about you. I'm saying this about yeah, our culture. Yeah. Like the whole question about that is dumb. Like I yeah. think because it's like drugs. The word drugs carries such a like moralistic connotation, right? Yeah. Um, and like where my where I'm at, you know, as a therapist, is that like we should study everything, like study all all the drugs, whatever you're classifying as drugs, and if it alters your brain chemistry study the shit out of it and find out if there's any positive benefits to it and don't just slap a moral label on it. I mean, preach girl. And also like, you know, alcohol is a like sweeping generalization and yes, somehow like different liquors or substances, you know, those kinds of things can have different effects on like how you act, but it's Mm -hmm. way different with like, quote with like the sweeping generalization of drugs, you know, like, LSD right. is a very different experience than cocaine is a very different experience than heroin. And I don't know from experience. Right. <clears throat> I'm just saying. Right. I mean, it's kind of bonkers that, you know, heroin is in the same category as like, you know, uh, honestly, caffeine, like all no, those things true. are the same because it's they're both like a mind altering substance. So like, in a, but if we take the moralistic judgment out of it, then we can say these are substances that alter brain chemistry. 
how are we going to study them and how are we going to use them? Right. Then it, then I feel like we can be a little less pearl clutching and a little more scientific for fuck's sake. I mean, I don't know how you think you're, we're going to, we're going to convince a nation of people who grew up with the dare program, but <laughs> I'm just going to, you know what, Sarah, you're right. I'm just going to go downstairs. I'm going to leave this podcast right now. I'm going to go downstairs and get some eggs out of my fridge and I'm going to just like put them in the frying pan. I'm going to stare at them as they crackle oh. because that was the one thing that I will never forget is the like, this is your brain on drugs. And it's just like an egg fucking crackling and a pan. This is your brain and it's fucking frying. Oh my God. I totally forgot about that. That I definitely remember that commercial. Ridiculous. Did I unlock, did I unlock a core memory for you? You might have. Yes. <laughs> This is your brain on drugs. And I was like, that's terrifying. And yeah. And like, now I'm kind of like, well. You're like, but I like eggs. Yeah, maybe it's a, you know, maybe there's some, something to it. Like eggs are fucking tasty. Why are you trying to, uh, to get me to not do something that has had enlightening uh, properties for so many different cultures for so many different generations? I like that, that egg is sunny side up and that's the, my favorite way. To eat an egg. <laughs> I love a scrambled egg. I love a scrambled brain. I love a scrambled egg. <laughs> a bitty kind of egg. I'm not lie. Anyhow, that's really neither here nor there. Um. So back to the story. Here's the thing: the times they were a changing, and segregation was not actually like a palatable issue to openly organize around. Instead, they used coded language, quote, like, quote, government intrusion, end quote, assault on religious freedom, um, which is, of course, still used by the Republican Party to this day. So I'm sure that you're very familiar with those phrases. Tax exemption is a public subsidy, though. So the government absolutely can make stipulations on how they're used as evidenced by pursuant to the Brown decision of 1954, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and Green versus Connolly ruling in 1971. And like segregation is horrifying, inhumane. I hate every aspect of it. But can we just talk about for a minute, like these segregationist places that they want to make and uphold and create? Um, I recently went back through and was looking at uh, food from the uh, mid uh, 20th century. And White people salad at that point was things like um, Coca-Cola salad, where you would put things like cream cheese, Coca-Cola, and, uh, and you know, uh, Jello together and call it a food. And that is deeply unsettling. <laughs> so I'm as selfish as a white person, selfishly, this is deeply problematic. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, th I think there's, this is, this is obviously a sweeping generalization that is absolutely incorrect and can be debunked easily, but it does seem like uh, white people like their lifestyles, like they like their food, which is like no spice, status quo, mm -hmm. everything, you know, boiled potatoes mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, maybe some salt if they're feeling fussy. Yeah, I mean, like, take my people, the Scots. Our our national food is haggis. That's 
that's upsetting, <laughs> deeply upsetting. And I, I remember one time, like I, I do, I have acquired a taste for spicy food. Uh, I remember serving the food to a family member and, um, I had, uh, taken out the spice of this food and just served it with a little bit of pepper and some salt and they thought it was too spicy. That too was deeply upsetting to me. <laughs> How did we get there? Is it just that like they're, it, they're so resistant to other cultures that they can't even handle like <laughs> spice in their food? Yeah. Like, it's just like, it's so like, I, I view this as a parallel process, right? Like that, that white people are so resistant to change once they become that once they like get into positions of power, like part of white supremacy is I don't want anything to change. I don't want to rock the boat. Also, I want my food to be bland as fuck. And so it's like, I feel like the food issue is political and it is one that is um, like parallel to the the politics of it. I don't want to change. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. I don't know. I I don't have anything to back that up, but it just feels, it's a gut feeling, Sarah. It's a gut feeling. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you're going to pry those, was it cocktail, like prawns with the cocktail sauce? What is that called? Oh yeah. Like uh, what? Shrimp cocktail? Shrimp cocktail. That was like on every menu in like the 1990s, right? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're going to pry that from boomers' cold dead hands. And some jello salads. Also, I will say, I, will, I, I want to share one more anecdote. Uh, an unnamed pastor at an unnamed church in an unnamed Southern state that I know, uh, he was trying to, he was a very progressive guy, trying to uh, make make this congregation a little bit more healthy, predominantly uh, white church. And he was like, what if we had a salad, like a salad bar Sunday? And there was not one green salad. It was all just jello molds, just jello molds and mayonnaise. And I feel like that is a really good example of like the worst of white culture. I mean, to, okay. So to be fair, a lot of the reason why I mean, they shouldn't be called salads, but a reason why these uh, dishes became popular were because they were shelf-stable and people in rural South did not have, you know, they were very impoverished and they needed shelf, shelf-stable shelf foods, right? That yes. were high in calories. And so yeah. that's where we get these like mayonnaise, like pimento cheese and fucking roast beef salad, which is just like chicken salad, but like with roast beef. That's disgusting. So, um, you know, you, you know what? That's that's true. It's fair. It comes out of like war rationing and the Great Depression and all that stuff. But I'm just saying, like, update your palate. Just like update it. Just put it. Put some spices in there. It's not going to hurt you to like just change. Just fucking update and change for the better. Just. I'm going to need you to go around to your uh, to your restaurants in the area <laughs> and be like, listen get your shit in order. And I like, listen, there's no, there's no market for that. Nobody will buy that. Saddle up. Just stop with this bullshit. Yeah. This was a total aside. Thank you for following us on this weird journey. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Back to action. As they say in the Power Rangers, um, while religious freedom was a clever play, 
it wasn't as much of a lightning rod as abortion would become for the religious right. Up until the late 1970s, abortion was seen as a Catholic issue. Falwell even admitted he didn't begin preaching on anti-abortion until February 1978. This is five years after the Roe versus Wade decision in 1973. But a huge thing happens in 1978. During the midterm elections, Catholic anti-abortion activists papered church parking lots in four Senate races the weekend before the election. There was a low turnout and the anti-abortion Republicans beat the Democrats. Paul Weyrich, the founder of the religious right, realized that this could be his issue to mobilize conservative evangelicals. At the same time, after the 1978 midterm election, Frank, uh, Frank Schaefer's anti-abortion film series, quote, Whatever Happened to the Human Race, <laughs> toured the country and started energizing evangelicals. As the religious right began talking more and more about abortion, progressives took the bait and began arguing for abortion, but it was already made into law, so this ultimately played into their hand, into the religious right's hand by distracting Americans from their racist politics. They were able to wage a more secret war against people of color with charter schools and a more public war against women with abortion. All of this, of course, gets lost in the shuffle. I mean, Laura and I know a lot about religion. <laughs> we have graduate degrees in it, but we still assume that religious people have been against abortion and that this is and this is simply not the case. I mean, holy fuck, the religious right and Republicans were and are just really good at branding. They somehow always have Democrats and progressives on the defensive, which is hella frustrating. And how has the left not counter-argued, counteracted, realized this, whatever? And this is the time when I stand on my flimsy soapbox and I say, because they suck, not the left. I'm a part of that. However, I got to say the religious right has done a great job of uh, catering to kind of like that emotional lowest common denominator feeling, right? Like, yeah, like, like you don't want to kill babies, but really that's not the thing they care about. Right. It's not at all the thing they care about, but that propaganda has the immediate effect of, of like, you know, has an immediate emotional response, right? This is like their main tactic for years and years and years and how do you even how do you even respond? Like I feel like that's the problem is that to respond is to just be like you can't soundbite it. You can't soundbite the like multifaceted reasons for why something is rational and kind. Yeah. When their soundbite is just like they just want to kill babies and um, fuck the police. It's not that they actually believe any of this shit. It's that it was to further racist policies. Mm -hmm. So um, if you were to cut the cancer out, as it were, it would be to go back and say, wow, this was a really shitty undertaking. Um, what do we actually think about this? And that's way too much focus, I think, for both the Republican Party and it doesn't behoove them to do it, but also for the American people who are taxed with things like, you know, I don't know not being paid enough, not having enough benefits, you know, like they're just, there's a reason why the attention span is short in the American public. And it's because there's so many things to worry about. Like if you think about Maslow's hierarchy, right there, they spend so much time working on and caring about survival and safety that they don't think about 
and they don't have time to think about the higher things in that. And so, yeah, yeah, and that's, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say that, like, I think that in some ways the left and Democrats fight back on a more esoteric level. And what we need to do is like, talk about the level that people are actually on, which is like benefits, jobs, like the, you know, like don't take the bait on this other esoteric bullshit. Like talk about meeting people where they are. Just don't even take the bait from the left. Just meet people where they are. Right. I don't know. It's so insidious, right? Because it's like this abortion thing. They're targeting one issue and, and it's meant to terrify, right? It's meant to keep, I mean, it's meant to keep um, people of color in line, but it's also meant to keep women in line because this all came like rolled out with purity culture, right? Oh yeah. And, and it's that kind of thing where they're like, uh, we're, we're, we're going to terrorize, but we're going to do it in a way where it's like the public will be like, well, at least I'm not them. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm a good Christian woman. I don't have sex outside of marriage. So, you know, when they get to police other women, like in uh, handmaid's tale. Yeah. Or, you know, I, um, I don't do anything wrong, so I don't have anything to worry about if, uh, a police officer wants to search my car. Yeah. Um, all these things, which are all very racist and sexist in just the act of them, but yeah. they placate the public. Yeah. No, I hear you. I think it's, uh, yeah, I think it, it was pretty insidious, but I also think that the left needs to be smarter about kind of anticipating some of the right's moves and then like going at going at the issues that are that because I I do think so many Americans care about things that are on that like back to Maslow's hierarchy like you cannot function on an esoteric level when you're worried about safety and security and so like thinking about those things of just like I'm worried that I'm not going to get baby formula or I'm worried that you know I'm not going to have a job or, or those things like meet people where they are and don't don't take the bait like because the second someone starts calling you a baby killer and then you defend the baby killer thing like you you're legitimizing it I kind of disagree like I feel like at this point um you just gotta clap back you gotta be like we're not baby killers we're trying to save the mother's life you know and then they can be like well uh that's already in law and then they can say well, but look at all these other policies that you have in place to keep this child from living its fullest life, to keep the mother from living. And then you're debating life. about abortion, which is what I think you shouldn't do. Like, I think you, they made the debate about abortion and we need to make the debate about something else entirely. Like yeah, but I, then but then they'll just come back and be like, why are they not talking about the issue? Is it because they don't know what they're talking about? No, it's because no one actually really gives a shit about abortion. Like if most people, most people, like if you, if you poll Americans, they're actually pro-abortion rights. Like it's whenever you, most people in America are pro-abortion. And so like they're pro, like, and I don't mean like they want to have abortions. I mean, like they're pro women having the option. And so I, I just reject the premise of the question. Like, don't feed into the argument. If you want to have an argument with me about abortion and, and you're a Republican, I'm going to be like, Hey, why did you vote to, 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 you know, ship jobs overseas 
to China because there are 10,000 people in your district that lost jobs. And I wanna talk about those people, those people right now that are hurting, that are, that are in pain, that had to apply for unemployment, that didn't get benefits on time. That's how I fight back because you've made the issue something that is inconsequential to most of the voters if they're in a state where abortion rights are, are a thing. And that's where I just get really pissed off because it's this red herring. It has nothing to do with reality. Of course it's a red herring, but it's also an easy emotional issue, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't engage on it. That's the point because they can say baby killer. And then as the point you say baby killer, then you're just fucking fighting back. And you're being like, I'm not a baby killer. But the second you say I'm not a baby killer, then you're a baby killer. Like that's, that's how it works. I mean, I mean, I agree, but at the same time, I disagree that that isn't a like that that tactic will work, right? Because because like absolutely, absolutely true. But um it's it requires it requires a nuance that our current like level of political debate and our 24-hour news cycle and all those things just don't make time for. Like it has to be sound biteable and nothing about the like And this has long been my argument with the Democratic Party is that they need to have more people like LBJ and, you know, like that can be this sort of like folksy fight, you know, um, fight back and like argue definitively um, and 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 like go for the jugular. Like I'm even talking about like Ann Richards, the last democratic governor of Texas. Like she could say these like folksy progressive things and people will go along with it because she was funny. She was funny and she was direct. And like, I don't think that, I think Democrats get lost in the like, uh, they either in the South, especially try to be Republican light like the last, oh my God, like the last person that ran for Senate against Mitch McConnell here in the South and in um, Kentucky, they were, they tried to run her as a Marine and a mom. And like, it was laughable. It was just horrible because it's like what, she was great in the debates, but like, you didn't know what she stood for because she was just Republican light. And it's, it's like, you need to be able to have, have an elevator speech about what you actually stand for and be able to argue it and people use your talking points and the two things that happen in the south is people either go republican light and so you're not really sure what they stand for they're just a weaker version of republicans or they are so far out of the realm of even understanding and arguing on a on a level they're they're arguing back on these talking points. Like they take the bait, they argue about abortion when really they need to be talking about jobs. And that's, that's the thing, that's the tweet. Like, don't take the bait. If I, could, if I could share one fucking thing, it would be do not take the bait. Make your own argument, attack them on the things that they need to be attacked on because Jesus Christ, there are so many things they need to be attacked on. But okay, we've gotten I have, a whole, I have a whole ass platform that I think they should follow. <laughs> We're like way over time. All right. So you might be wondering at this point in our long ranty McRancherson episode, <laughs> what is going on 
in the Supreme Court from Roe versus Wade until now. Well, in 1992, there was a challenge to Pennsylvania abortion restrictions. But in Planned Parenthood of Southeastern Pennsylvania versus Casey, the court upheld Roe and the constitutionally protected a right to privacy that includes every woman's right to make her own personal medical decisions. Unfortunately, the court also made it more difficult for women to succeed in challenging laws that were less than absolute prohibitions on abortion. The court ruled that in order to succeed in a constitutional challenge, a law must be shown to have the purpose or effect of placing a substantial obstacle in the path of a woman seeking an abortion. Under this test, many abortion restrictions have been upheld, including requirements that women make multiple trips to an abortion provider and suffer an enforced delay prior to obtaining an abortion. So all the court challenges have succeeded in slowly stripping away the rights of abortion. In Gonzalez versus Carhartt uh, in 2007, the court upheld a federal statute that banned partial birth abortions. This was the first time since Roe that the Supreme Court upheld a ban on any type of abortion. In Whole Women's Health versus Hellerstedt, the court found that, quote, two provisions in Texas law requiring physicians to perform abortions to have admitting privileges at a nearby hospital and requiring abortion clinics in the state to have facilities comparable to an ambulatory surgical center. So this Texas law places a substantial obstacle in the path of women seeking an abortion, which constitutes an undue burden on abortion access and therefore violates the the constitution. So just as you, just as an FYI, an ambulatory surgical center is a much more complex building with much more complex equipment than is reasonably needed for an abortion clinic, right? An abortion clinic, it's essentially like an outpatient procedure, right? Yeah. And my understanding is that you like, you have to go to these places in order to get an abortion. Like, it's not like you can get them. Right. But But the intention of this law was to make it more difficult for abortion clinics to be in practice because they would have to spend all this money to get up to code. Um, that was very unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Anyhow. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Spot on. Okay. On top of this, numerous states have passed trigger laws, meaning if Roe versus Wade is overturned, the state laws would cause an automatic ban of abortion. These 13 states, as of when we are recording, are Arkansas, Idaho, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, North Dakota, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, and Wyoming. All these states would ban abortion in the event that the life of the mother is in danger, though the wording of this varies from state to state. For example, Arkansas bans abortion unless the mother is in a medical emergency, while Idaho specifies that the abortions would only be allowed if it is to keep the the mother from dying. So there's like, it's, it's, it's sort of pervasive to just a minor caveat about the health of the mother. Many of these states do not offer provisions at all for rape or sexual assault. The states that do offer this provision are Mississippi, Utah, Wyoming, and Idaho. Note that South Dakota would be a restrictive outlier with laws banning all abortions for any reason. Current laws in these states are already very restrictive. So in fact, recently, Governor Stitt of Oklahoma signed a bill stating that all pregnancy begins at fertilization, effectively making all abortions for any reason illegal. 
Florida's governor, DeSanto, who I'm sure you've seen in the news. Big crapo. <laughs> has signed a bill requiring any abortion to be performed um, before 15 weeks of pregnancy. Idaho bans all abortions after six weeks of pregnancy. Now, I'm, I'm sure you all know, but six weeks is like you, you some women barely- don't know. You don't even know you're pregnant. And also like that makes me really sketched out in Oklahoma because some conservatives think that IUDs like prevent fertilization. So like, because they are the, because they, they prevent implantation, that that's an abortion. Mm -hmm. And so like, that's really sketchy in terms of the way that this is chipping away rights. Right. And, and these are all like, they're just bullshit laws that are trying to yep. circumvent a federal law. Yep. Um, and, uh, however, um, in Kentucky, there is still some debate about this 15 weeks issue as the governor vetoed a bill that would make abortion after 15 weeks illegal, but his veto was overridden by the, by the Republican supermajority. It eventually made its way to the court and the judge has temporarily blocked the measure to um that the that the republican supermajority put in place so there is there is some hope there are some um you know some political advocates in these hyper republican states who are trying to do work that's like pro-abortion however it's, there's so much money there's such a strong backing for fucking pro-abort or pro-life yeah. And it's, yeah, it's really interesting because I feel like you have a governor, a democratic governor who has such a high approval rating, but you've also got a Republican supermajority here in Kentucky. And so it's very, it's very tenuous. Um, it's a very tenuous balance and ultimately, um, yeah, it's just, it's a very interesting dynamic here in Kentucky. Um, but the Bible doesn't really say anything about abortion. Some verses used occasionally by anti-choice evangelicals are Jeremiah 1, 5, that says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. This is more about calling and giving legitimacy to Jeremiah. Another verse is Exodus 21, 22 through 25, which adjudicates the case of a pregnant woman who becomes involved in a brawl between two men and has a miscarriage. There is a financial penalty for the fetus, but an eye for an eye for injury to the woman. So the fetus is deemed as property, but the woman is alive. So that doesn't really work either um, because, you know, there is an incongruency between the two. There is a pretty strong biblical argument for watching out for widows and orphans, which I would think would include their health care. So I don't think the Bible gives, an, gives us an answer at all about abortion, but the spirit of the Bible would be one of care for women as a justice issue. I mean, I might disagree with that, but that's a conversation for another day. Um, I like how you affected a southern accent. I there. reckon. I reckon you just put on your seasucker outfit and you put in your cigar and you had some sweet tea and lemonade and had yourself an Arnold Palmer and said, let's talk about women in the Bible. <laughs> I say, I say, I say. <laughs> Anyways, we'd like to close by offering some resources. So, of course, Planned, Parent- Planned Parenthood, PlannedParenthood.org has abortion finder, um, other resources about healthcare and thinking through family planning options. 
They do, of course, much more than abortions and provide cancer screenings, obstetrics, and gynecological care in addition to birth control. Their website's a wealth of information, so check it out. And um, as an aside, um, I went there in like, when I first moved out to California, I went there um, while I was still in school and had no money and got uh, the Paragard uh, IUD. Mm-hmm. Zero cost, just totally like free. Went in, went out, um, and Was it easy peasy lemon squeezy. Yeah, I mean, like the process hurts, like them inserting it. It's not comfortable, but it's not. Do they explain what's going to happen? Yeah, they they were very good about. It. They were very That's kind awesome. about it. Which I would like to, because we're going to get into plan B next, but I would like to tell that story in conjunction with the story of me being like (laughs) embarrassingly uh, naive about sex and like my sexual rights and things like that in when I was in my early 20s. I was having sex with a guy, uh, the condom broke uh, and it's like late at night. I flipped out because I was like, I do not want to get pregnant. I'm not getting pregnant. And so I made him take me to the emergency room. And um, this was in Alabama. And I made him take me to the emergency room. And we asked for plan B. And like, I cannot tell you how smug the like intake nurse and everybody else, like everybody we talked to, it was really just like one person um, or like two, I guess, by proxy. So smug, just like so judgmental and smug. smug. And when she went to quote, I don't know if she really did this, but when she went to go ask the physician on staff, if they would give that to us, they said no for religious reasons, which is a thing that physicians can do. Mm-hmm. They can Under deny you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and it was a really upsetting situation. It's um, a rip for protection. That's part of the first amendment, which is bullshit and only got added under Bush. And I hate yeah. it. Yep. Anyways, of course, Planned Parenthood saved our asses then too. The next morning, he had like done some research. And the next morning we went over to Planned Parenthood and spent like 50 bucks on Plan B. Um, so big shout out to Plan B. Um, but also, FYI, for those of you who may not know, Plan B is available to everyone. You can buy it on Amazon. There are no state-specific laws prohibiting it. And importantly, there are no age requirements to purchase it. And I so- think... Like I, I've gotten plan B from a pharmacy before. Um, thankfully the pharmacist was amazing and did not shame me. Um, and was just like, yeah, here you go. Let me tell you about how to use it. Blah, blah, blah. Um, but I do still think that that law is in place where if you get someone who's like, then they can be like, I have to find you another pharmacist to give it to you. So being able to order it online is pretty cool. Yeah. It's like over the counter now. Oh, great. Cool. Yeah. Um, as far as, I mean, I haven't, I haven't had to use it in quite a long time. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Paragard, um, <laughs> nice. which I recommend <laughs> for anyways. But uh, yeah, I, I have, I've had a, like, I've had the bad experiences. I've had the good experiences mm-hmm. and um, same, same. Yeah. You know, anyhow, that is, that is it for today. If you have any more questions, actually, if you have any concerns um about your sexual health and want some additional resources you can absolutely reach out to me or um or laura i actually work in a hospital setting right now um so and i'm a therapist and we're both really pro um reproductive choice and rights and 
honestly, we're anticipating Roe is going to be repealed. Um, the clergy consultation network that we talked about in um, episode one is probably going to be reconstituted. Um, and, and we would be in full support of that to find states that, that will support your reproductive choice or to find caretakers, um, caregivers who would provide resources for you. So please message us. You can slide into our DMs on uh, Twitter at Bible Bitches. Um, also uh, on uh, Instagram at Bible Bitches Podcast. You can come to our website, BibleBitchesPodcast.com. Please donate to our Patreon on that site because it keeps us going um, and keeps us giving you good information. Um, you can find us wherever uh, podcasts are broadcast like um, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Um, and who would we like to thank today? Well, I do want to give one last plug. Um, California is a refuge state. So if you are in a bind, um, you can come out here. Planned Parenthood will definitely help you. Um, they get a lot of funding out here. So just an FYI. And um, we would love to thank Yo Eves, Miss Eves, for our intro and outro music. Um, ourselves, because we're awesome. Who else do we want to thank? Um, Aaron Smith, who did our artwork for so long, um, at Aaron Doodles on Twitter. Um, yeah, I think that's the gamut. I think we I think that's everything. Thank you for uh, sticking with us. And um, please, if if you have um, thoughts to share, resources to, sh resources to share on um, reproductive rights, please at us or hashtag us as you talk about it so that we can join in the dialogue. Yeah, we would love that. Thanks so right. much. Thank you. Bye. Bye.